We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. This morning to the book of Genesis chapter 9 and we will pick up where we left off the last time. Chapter 9, verse 18, we see in this last section of the chapter the prophetic declaration <coughs> of Noah and the future of the nations. We see, first of all, that the sons of Noah are mentioned once again. It says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Now we see here that reading this, and then further, you know, in the next chapter, that the subject of races and nationalities, which anthropologists and politicians try to resolve based on evolutionary theories which many times contradict each other. This subject can be fully resolved coming to the only, and listen to this, coming to the only reliable record of the true origin of the races and ethnic groups, nations, and languages found in Genesis chapters 9 through 11. I repeat, this is the only reliable record in the world that tells us about the origin of the species, not Darwin. He didn't know what he was talking about, and he only created a theory that everybody has taken, and they made a religion out of it. The only reliable source is this, what we're reading right now in chapters 9, 10, and 11. The sons of Noah are mentioned perhaps in order of birth, for they are mentioned in the same way every time. In chapter 5, verse 32, the first time they're mentioned, and then in chapter 6, verse 10, in chapter 7, verse 13, right now, and where we are right now, and then at the first verse of chapter 10. From them, from those three sons, proceed the three fundamental branches of the human race. So there's no such thing as races. The race is one. What you have is different ethnic groups and nationalities. And all the nations of the earth proceed from the three sons of Noah. Scripture makes it clear quite explicitly that all men now living are descended from Noah through his three sons. Open with me one second to the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 10, and go if you please, to the last verse of chapter 10. This is the summary of the whole chapter. It says, these were the families 
of the sons of Noah. Interesting, right? It says, now these are the families of the sons of Noah. It doesn't say these are the monkeys. These are the families. When you step out of the word of God and go away from the word of God, people who go away from the word of God lose their dignity. The word of God gives us dignity because we were created in the image of God. And though we sin, the whole race has sinned, we're still created in the image of God. And God gives dignity to the human race, just like he gives dignity to women. Some people think that being a Christian puts women down. No, on the contrary. Women and men are on the same level as far as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. And we also see the examples of the Lord when he dealt with different women, how he treated them with respect. We never see the Lord treat any, a woman roughly or, or as a second-class citizen. He always treated them with respect. Now it says here, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, <coughs> and from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Very simple, isn't it? Now why is it that man makes it so difficult? Very simple. You say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, it is. But let's go to the New Testament, and we're going to see something else. Open with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 17. And in this section of Scripture, we find the Apostle Paul preaching his famous sermon to the unknown God on Mars Hill in Athens, the center, the cultural center of the world at the time. And he's talking to all kinds of philosophers and thinkers over there on sermon on, the, uh, on Mars Hill. And he is telling them that the statue that they had of the unknown God, in case they had missed the God, because they had in Athens, one of the poets said that in Athens it was easier to find a God than to find a man. Because they had idols all over the place. So in case they missed anyone, they put a statue to the unknown God, so no God would be offended. Intel interesting that Greece was known for its intelligence, philosophy, mathematics, uh, culture, you name it. Very advanced society. And we even see that reflected in the Greek language. The Greek language is not just a language, it's a science. But how dark their minds, their spirits, their souls, when they did not know the true God. That proves to us that a society could be very sophisticated, very advanced, every which way, and yet be so dark. So dark. And not just the Greeks, but also the Egyptians. The Egyptians were tremendous mathematicians, astronomers, and what have you. And yet, idolatry in Egypt was even worse than in Greece. 
because at least in Greece, they worshiped gods in the form of man. In Egypt, they worshiped gods who had human bodies and the head of an animal. Degrade, more degrading. But here we see the Apostle Paul speaking to all these philosophers, the Epicureans and the, uh, uh, the, the school of Plato and Aristotle and what have you. And we see that he's talking about the God they don't know. And of course, we know who he is, right? The God of the Bible. And he says to them in verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on, on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So he created all of them of one what? Blood. According to that verse in the New Testament, how many races are there? One. Human race. Okay? All the physical characteristics of the different nations and tribes must have been present in the genetic constitutions of these six people who came out of the ark, meaning Noah's sons and their wives. So they all must have had inside of them all the seeds of every race, or I should say every ethnic group. And according to the places where they established themselves, they, ad they adopted to that environment over a period of time. Now, could they have evolved? They ev any kind of ev evolution is within a species, not outside of the species. A human being can develop in certain areas. You might be a very short parent, right? But yet your children might be tall. Does that happen? Yeah. You might be ugly as sin. And your children might be beautiful, right? Or vice versa. Sometimes you have parents that are very, the man is handsome, the woman is beautiful, and the child, poor thing. It happens. That means there is a change and an evolution within that same species. Not that your child eventually will evolve into some kind of rhinoceros. We laugh, but that's what evolution teaches you. And of course, that happens in 16 billion years. Now, which one of all those nuts was around for 16 billion years? To observe the change. Because that's what science is all about, is observing anything that can, cannot be observed under the microscope or the telescope is not science. It's only a theory. So if anybody comes and tells you that evolution is science, they don't know what they're talking about. That is not true. Okay? So here we see that all the physical characteristics of the different nations and tribes must have been present in the genetic constitution of these six people who came out of the ark. It is interesting to note that Ham, who's the second, is singled out. Not Shem, who we're going to see is the most important, and not Japheth, 
who was the biggest as far as his descendants is concerned, but Ham. Ham is singled out. And we are told that he was the father of Canaan, who was his youngest son, according to Genesis 10.6. It's not even his eldest. It was the youngest. He was not more prominent than his other sons, but most likely he's mentioned especially because of his being the ancestor of the Canaanites who were wicked inhabitants of the land. See, some things never change with history. Get my drift? These were wicked inhabitants of the land that God would later promise to Abraham and to the children of Israel. So the land doesn't belong to the Jews and it doesn't belong to the Arabs. It belongs to God. And God gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not to Ishmael. He gave Ishmael east of that land. He gave him plenty of it too. So I don't know why everybody wants a little piece of land called Israel. Okay? And when was this? Remember, who wrote the, the Pentateuch? Who wrote the, the Torah? Moses. Okay? So this was written at the time when Moses was writing the account of Genesis, leading his people there to that land, the land of Canaan. That's why it's called the land of Canaan. Because Canaan was the founder of that group of people. Some of those people were the Phoenicians, whom we all know were a very advanced civilization. Some of the letters of the Greek alphabet come from the Phoenician alphabet. There were tremendous sea peoples, had a tremendous navy. They were traders. They, they had uh, uh, trading posts all over the Mediterranean Sea. But they were destroyed. But if we read the Bible, and you read about Tyre and Sidon, which were the cities of Phoenix, they give us a picture of a very low type of people. Do you know who was a Phoenician? A famous Phoenician? Her name was Jezebel. Does that give you an idea? Do you uh, really wonder now why God had them all destroyed or allowed them to be destroyed? Okay. So we see that the sons of Noah, now we see the backsliding of Noah. This is a sad portion of scripture. Be verse 20 says, and Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk. And became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, here we go again. When it's repeated, it's for what? Emphasis. 
Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see <coughs> their father's nakedness. After the flood, and we don't know how much time, after quite a, a bit of time after the flood, Noah began to farm the earth and planted a vineyard. Now, is there anything wrong with farming? Is there anything wrong with planting a vineyard? No, okay? And here we see the rehabilitation of the earth after the flood. But Noah made wine out of the grapes. Again, nothing wrong with that. But he got drunk. And that's plenty of wrong. Okay? He got drunk. And in his stupor, he got, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> undressed, committing a double sin. This happened a number of years uh, after the flood, as I said, and during his careless, carelessness in easy times of comfort and prosperity. I know from experience that many times in my life in ministry, after I preach a message and I feel like, oh my goodness, the Lord was in it. When I step off the platform, something happens. So I have learned to step off the platform very carefully and prayerfully. I remember one time I preached and I was standing right in the back there. And a man who used to come here years ago, he moved away, says to me, Pastor, you are the best. That was a nice satanic trap I could have said me of course and the Lord oh, right at that moment I mean he put the words in my mouth and I looked at him I said the Lord is the best not me don't never say that to me again because I know he meant well I'm not going to take that away from him but we have to be careful because it doesn't take much for our heads to get inflated Okay? And here was Noah at a time of prosperity, ease, comfort, okay? And uh, those are the dangerous times for man. Since by his sinful nature, man tends to be careless and to backslide. And we can all think of David doing that too, right? Many years later. We must uh, uh, note that this happened during his mature and experienced day. Noah is already a very old man. And who told you that old people don't sin? As a matter of fact, they sin more than others because they have more time to do it. Never think when you come to a certain point in life, oh, I'm, you know, I'm okay now. No, you're not. Okay? Be careful with that. This happened during his mature and experienced days. We must never let down our guard. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
Every sin has negative results. Okay? And here we see the negative results of Noah's sin. Scripture is totally impartial. God registers both the virtues and the sins of his saints. Noah dishonored his own body and caused Ham, his son, to sin, not only because he not only saw the nakedness of his father, okay, the Hebrew word, wayar, means he saw with delight and satisfaction. Like mocking him. Some people think that he would, you know, committed this act of homosexuality. I don't believe that. I think he just looked at his father in disdain. He saw his father doing that, and he was like, and he is the righteous, holier-than-thou man. The eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pluck it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. You know what that means? It means that he who mocks his father and disobeys or despises his mother loses discernment. It's a judgment. That's why it says, honor thy father and thy mother. All right? So we see here that he saw with satisfaction. He delighted with what his eyes saw, which denotes a wicked heart, and it is very probable that Ham had already gone away from the faith. And in the phrase, told his two brothers, the Hebrew word is, he told it with delight. And this shows how quickly man forgets sin's consequences and God's judgment. This could be called a second fall of man, or the beginning of the sin of the post-diluvians, who, who very quickly began to fall into sin again, since all men descending from Adam had a sinful nature. The flood did not take away the sinful nature of man. Okay? But the conduct of Shem and Japheth stands out in contrast to that with that of Ham. Because both of them, they were men of clean mind and faithful to their father. And they are saddened by what happened with their father and do not delight in it. And quickly they sought to cover him and did it appropriately. As the text states, they walked backwards with this garment or sheet that they had and covered their father without looking at his nakedness. Okay. After being faithful for so long and resisting all kinds of evil before the flood, Noah seems to have taken down his guard and made provision for the flesh in a careless moment. This is why God warns us to take heed and be careful because the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why I think we as Christians must always be careful not to find ourselves alone in a compromising situation. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine, a pastor, 
He calls me on the phone one day. He was somewhere in the Grand Concourse around that area. He calls me. He was in his car. And he called me and he said, pray for me. I said, what happened? He said, a prostitute just pro propositioned me. He reacted quickly. And he called me and we prayed together. That's what we need to learn to do. I remember in 1986, my first trip to Israel, we were in Tel Aviv. And we were going inside the hotel, and I was with two young men from Michigan. One was a youth pastor, the other one, I forget what he was. But they were all in ministry, and they're friends, and they're walking behind me. We were talking on the sidewalk. We were coming back from a cafe at night, and we were walking into the hotel, the revolving door, right? And I walked in first, and I'm talking to them, and I walked in, and I thought they were still behind me. And I turned around, and they were not there, and all of a sudden, they come in, and one of them was shaking. I saw two women go out, but I didn't pay any attention to them. And I said to the one of them was quicker than the other. And I said, I mean, the, the, the guys. And I said to him, what happened? He says, two prostitutes just propositioned us. And the one who was quicker of mine, he turned around and he says, Do you, did you know that Jesus Christ died for your sin? And they took off like the devil. But the other one was more affected, and he was like shaking. <laughs> because some people are more tender than others, you know. And I learned that. I, back then, I never forgot that. So when I find myself in a compromising situation, I use the same tactic. Tactic. Remember that. Always use that. The word of God is powerful. Like the thief who is breaking into a car, and there's a woman looking from the window of her apartment down to the street. And she shouts at the thief and says, God is watching you. And he took off. Okay? You find yourself in a compromising situation? Either call me, call one of the deacons, call somebody you love, somebody in your family, and say, pray for me. Noah didn't do that. Noah was careless. And don't think because you get older that lust and sin go away. Unfortunately, they do not. Okay? So other than this moral lapse of Noah, he was a man with a long life of faithful obedience to God under the most difficult of circumstances. So let's not be too quick to criticize Noah. Let's learn from his example that even after living so long and always being faithful, he had a lapse. He was human. He was a sinner. And that teaches us that we are all vulnerable and we must be careful. Now, nevertheless, this is a warning to all of us. As to Ham, his sin was probably one of rebellion and resentment against his father's authority and his moral standards. Actually, his attitude revealed resentment against God himself, something which would be manifested one day probably in him and in his children, as the Bible, the Bible shows us clearly regarding the Canaanites and their wicked practices. Not too many years ago, in um, Lebanon, in what is called the uh, Baalbek, the Valley of Baalbek, there are the ruins, ancient ruins, of a temple to Baal. That's why it's called Baalbek. And they found, the archaeologists found, excavating under the temple, they found huge urns, clay urns, filled with children's skeletons. 
because Baal worshippers like Jezebel sacrificed children to Baal as part of their rites. Then you wonder why God destroyed them. The Moabites used to do the same thing. Okay? Paganism degrades man. And we see a lot of paganism in our country, in our society today. You see people with tattoos all over the place? One time we were walking down Port Jefferson, where I live, down in Port, down Port. And here comes this woman, I mean, up in age, right? Her whole body was filled with tattoos. And I say, I'm, I'm, I walked by her and I went, oh, I cringed. And I say, don't people have any respect for their own bodies? If you don't respect yourself, how are you going to respect somebody else? The piercings, nose, ears, tongue, lips. The Apostle Paul talks about that, mutilators of the body. He lived in a pagan society, didn't he? The Greco-Roman Empire, the Greco-Roman civilization, if we can call it that. And the Bible tells us that for believers, the, bo the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that many times people do those things when they're out in the world, they're lost, and then when they come to Christ. When you come to Christ, your tattoos are not going to disappear. Now we know who has a tattoo. <laughs> Besides a long beard. Oh, how I wish that beard would come off. He's so handsome. He's so handsome with his without that beard. But you know what? I know a few people like that. And listen, when you get saved, all sin is under the blood. You know? And we all did things when we were lost. Some of the things we did don't show, others do. And, uh, and like you see a lot of single mothers. You know, they were lost and they got into some kind of a relationship. They ended up having a child. When you get saved, the child is not going to disappear. It's going to be there. And some of them turned out to be godly women, raising up their children with a godly, in a godly way. And you know what? The Lord can turn a curse into a blessing. Because that's what it, Christianity is all about. It's about change. And not poly political change. It's about changing inside. If a man or woman be in Christ, is a new creature, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you claim to be a Christian and there has not been a change in your life since the day you got saved, you better check yourself. Examine yourself, says the Apostle Paul, lest you have believed in vain. And what does it mean to have believed in vain? It means you're still lost. And remember the Lord says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, salvation and obedience go hand in hand. So many people say, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, so does the devil. As a matter of fact, the devil sees him. That doesn't make him a Christian or a believer. 
is the arch rebel of the ages. But are you saved? If you claim to be saved, your life must have changed from the day you believed. Do believers commit errors? Are believers susceptible to sin? Of course we are. There's no such thing as sinlessness in this life. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they are lying. The day we are in glory with the Lord, that's the day that we will be perfect. No more sin. We will be like Jesus, we are told by the Apostle John. But until then, there's a battle going on. But it is through those adverse times and circumstances and situations that we grow and mature spiritually. Just like a gymnast at the gym lifts weights, right? You think it's easy? It's not easy. But it's that resistance that develops muscles. I can see that in my own life. I don't lift up weights and I'm not a gymnast and I'm definitely not a sports person. I'm a strictly Beethoven person. As a matter of fact, I'm so Beethoven that anybody who doesn't like Beethoven, I don't think they're going to heaven. <laughs> but there's one thing I do. I walk three, four times a week. As the weather allows, three, four times a week. And you know what? It's becoming easier. I walk three miles every time, 12 laps around the park. And you know how I feel every time? At the beginning, when I, began the f when I first began, it was like one lap, two laps, and it was like, oh. You know, then I made it to four laps, one mile. And I would be so tired. And I would be like, oh, going to take a shower. And it was like, wanted to sit down. Now I walk the 12 laps. And I'm saying this to encourage you. Because anybody, people don't have to be fat if they don't want to. And now that I'm skinny, I hate fat people. <laughs> you know what? I walk the 12 laps, three miles. I get back home. I'm fresh as when I started. I'm no longer tired take my shower, I don't have to sit down, I feel so good, I go up the stairs without holding onto the handrail, I go down the stairs without holding to the handrail, which my brother-in-law tried to do the other day and fell flat on his blessed assurance. You know, I don't do that anymore. I'm careful, because that's, and you know another thing that helped me? Balance. I had begun to lose my balance because of age. But I, re I recovered my balance. I recuperated my balance. Now I no longer, you know, tear it back and forth. I walk straight. And when I sleep at night, oh, what a delight. Such freedom on the mattress, turning every which way. So flexible. Huh? Before, it used to be quite an ordeal trying to turn. I recommend it. And even if you don't have to lose weight, walk. If you don't know how to do anything else, walk. That is so wonderful, you know? And practice makes perfect. So do it. My nutritionist said, I want to challenge you to look at exercise, you know, challenge, you know uh, uh, attack it from a positive point of view. And I said, may I quote a verse of scripture to you? He's Jewish. And he says, yeah. I said, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
Isaiah 26, 3. And he was like, whoa, thank you for telling me. I'll use that. See? He thought that I was looking at exercise in a negative point of view. I said, no, this is great. I feel fantastic. You know? And we all need that. Not only in the physical life, but in the spiritual life as well. We have to exercise ourselves. What does the Apostle Peter say? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. Don't stay stuck in one place. Put the things of the world behind you. Start looking at the Lord and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promises all these things shall be added unto you. Don't be a casual Christian. Be a committed Christian. Don't be faithful now and then. Be faithful all the time. And you know what? So much the more as the day is approaching. With all the things that are happening, see, I go down without any problem. <laughs> all the things that are happening, what do you think this is? These are the signs the Lord told us that we're going to hear in, the, in the, the end days, the end times, the last days. This is it. The Lord is near. And some people are still asleep. The Lord says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find any faithfulness? How about you? Are you faithful? Are you alert? Are you looking unto the hills, waiting for him to come? We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.